0: Welcome to the Semper Reformative Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. Of course, all of scripture is inspired. But I suppose in our human weakness, um, we do have favourite verses, don't we? There are verses of the Bible that seem to just stick in our minds that excite our hearts, that occupy our thoughts. There are verses that remain in our memory and in some cases even come to almost define the work of the biblical writer of the book that contains them, I think, of how John 3 and 16 is one of those verses. And I expect that for many Christian believers, The verse that we're thinking of this evening will be familiar and will be similar to that. The verse that says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Verse 8 and verse 9. I suppose if you ask someone if they know a verse from Ephesians, that's the verse that they may well quote And in this verse, Paul has almost reached a climax of thought. He has dragged us unwillingly, I say, into the light of God's word. And he has exposed our innate inborn human sinfulness, the dark corruption of the human soul that separates us from God. And that brings us under his condemnation and makes us children of wrath. I was interested in something our brother Paul Darling said this morning here. That we must preach the law before we preach the gospel. The preaching of the law is part of the preaching of the gospel. For if sinners do not know that they are sinners, they will not know that they need to be saved. He's absolutely right, and that's exactly what Paul has been doing in verse 2 and verse 3 here in this passage, and he has done it with great efficiency, having made us thoroughly miserable with his bitingly accurate assessment of the human heart, human nature, and Human destiny. He then shocks us by announcing that despite the filthiness of our human condition, for all of our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God, that God, nevertheless, in his mercy and his love for us, in his great kindness towards us, has initiated a rescue plan for us at great cost to himself that will enable us to live again in fellowship with him to walk in newness of life and to dwell with him in the future in a new heaven and new earth god sent his only son the lord jesus to take all of our sins upon himself at the cross to take our punishment to bear the separation from God that we would have eternally endured, to die our death, to endure our hell. And he applies that saving work to us by regenerating us, by giving us a new life so that we are born again, by raising us up from the filth and the gutter of sin by seating us with Christ in heavenly places, by keeping us as his purchased possession until he takes us home to demonstrate in us his glory for eternal ages so that he and he alone gets all the praise for what he has done. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. Verse 8 begins with the word far, so it links it to what we have just said. For by grace are ye saved through faith. God takes all the glory because none of the work is ours. Paul summarizes God's saving work and he reinforces our passivity in it. Look at the verse for a moment and see that first of all that we are saved. And then look and see that we are saved by grace and then that we are saved through faith and that we are saved in such a manner that it excludes any form of pride on our part very simple we're saved i'm gonna look at the use of that word for a moment or two my mind goes back to an encounter years ago, maybe in the late 70s, in Castle Street in Bangor. I remember the place. It was just outside St. Comgall's parish church. It was the 12th of July, and a man who was a Presbyterian had been talking to me as we were waiting for the parade to come along, and as we were talking, one of the things that he was talking about was that he was complaining about how we evangelicals we're constantly referring to ourselves as being saved. I can well remember my old pastor back in my teenage years preaching on this text and telling a story of how he had been speaking at an open air meeting at the Custom House steps in Belfast, telling the crowds who had gathered there back in the post war period that they needed to be saved. And according to his account, one man raised his voice and objected and said, Och, what are you talking about? That's just brethren doctrine. And as quick as a flash, the pastor shouted back, no doubt very loudly, It's nothing of the kind. It's biblical doctrine. It is indeed a biblical doctrine. And the New Testament, its Greek word or a derivation of it appears something like 104 times in the New Testament. That seems fairly biblical to me. The idea that God stepped in to rescue, to save sinners, is all the way through the Bible. And the word itself is common enough. Paul told the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved thy house. To the Romans, he wrote in Romans chapter 10 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation i'm sure you know the greek word the greek root word is uh, sudzo and it simply means to rescue to preserve to bring you home safe and unharmed there's nothing wrong with the word mind you some of the ways that we use it can cause difficulties sometimes you will hear people talking about it as if it only happened in the past tense You will hear people giving a testimony, perhaps a personal testimony, and they will tell of the night that they were saved. And they will say, I was saved on the, and they will give a date or a time. Nothing wrong with that, of course. There are, although some Christians who argue that if you don't know the date of your conversion, you cannot point to a time and a place when you were saved, then you're probably not saved at all. Now, that's rather questionable. There are plenty of believers brought up in Christian homes, young people who learn the scriptures and are taught the ways of the Lord in their early days, who simply cannot remember a time when they didn't trust Christ with a repentant heart. That's not to say that they haven't been converted, that that conversion hasn't occurred, that regeneration hasn't occurred. It has to occur. Well, it's wrong to think of the experience of being saved as something that only happened in the past being something being saved is something that continually goes on the Bible speaks of our redemption using the word saved using the word rescued in three separate tenses it talks about how we were saved past tense when we are, justified by faith it speaks of a day in our experience when by faith we trusted christ second timothy 1 and verse 9 talks about who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling a day when our eternal destiny was forever settled A day when the Holy Spirit regenerated us and came to dwell within us. On that day, there is no doubt that we were saved. A once and for all work in which God delivers a sinner from the penalty of sin. Even if you don't know the day that happened, that must have happened for you to be a Christian. Now he guides us and gives us his love and his joy and his peace. We are saved and delivered from death and sin and hell. But we are also being saved. We call that sanctification. A continuous experience of salvation. Salvation which is happening to us right now. It's a description of the Lord's work every day in the life of the believer. And we'll see something more of this next week when we look at verse 10. And we see that we are his workmanship, and what God is doing in us, working in us. He gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us and to make us more Christ-like. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only... But now much more of my absence, work out your own salvation. Your salvation is to be worked out in your life with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you. There you are. We are saved, and we are being saved, and we will be saved. There will be a day coming when our redemption will be complete, and that day will be a great day of resurrection. When the lord will return when the dead in christ shall rise when we shall be changed to be like him so right now we're we're saved from the power of sin and we're saved from the penalty of sin but on that great day we will be saved from the presence of sin hebrews 9 and verse 28 so christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him Shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation? So, Paul could say in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, at knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. So, we were saved, and we are being saved. And we will be saved. We're saved. Oh, talking about the way people use words. You know, I, I, you probably know I'm a bit of a pedant when it comes to words. If there's one phrase that really winds me up, it's the people who say you have to get saved. I'm sorry if I'm treading on your toes. You see, we're all speaking American these days. I was appalled one day when I was standing at a queue in the Apple green and the person in front of me at the queue asked, can I get a coffee with that? And I thought, this person from Belfast. Why is he talking like that? I'd never even heard at that stage anyone ask for something in that manner. If I had, back in my school days, and I went to a rough school Back in my school days, I think if I had asked something by saying, can I get a... I think I'd have been taken to the front and caned. I remember a boy at my school who once asked to go to the toilet. You had to put your hand up, do you remember, in those days. And you had to ask to leave the room. And the boy said, can I leave the room, please, Sir? And the teacher stood at the front and he scowled down at the boy. He says, I don't know, boy, can you? And the wee boy says, but I need to go to the toilet. Then you'll have to ask properly. May I leave the room, sir? When did may I have a coffee, please? Become, can I get a coffee? Because we're being influenced by Americanism. You know, that, people say it all the time now, and they use could of instead of could have. It really irks me, the pedantry in me. Influenced by films and what the Americans call movies from Hollywood. But evangelicals have been doing it for years. You do not get saved. It's not something you ask for. You're dead and your trespasses and sins. It's not something you apply for. It's not something that you you, you go and look for. It's, that's an Americanism, and it's frequently used by evangelicals, and it's frequently used by semi-Pelagian evangelicals, especially those who think that God has gone 99% of the way to save you, and you have this little bit more to do on your own. And Paul has been distinctly telling us here, that we are not saved by any works of our own, that it is all of God. For by grace are ye saved. Paul doesn't say, by grace did you get saved. That doesn't occur anywhere in the Scriptures. Clear and plain in this very verse. And then there's the people who use the word saved as a kind of a status. You know, Christians are different from the people of this world. Again, we we'll look at this next week. The people whom Paul has described as the children of wrath, and he tells us that we are the children of God, and that should make us humble, and we should never have any sense of spiritual pride about us, should we? remember years ago in a radio report, many years ago, a BBC reporter had gone out into the streets of Belfast to do what they call a vox pop. He was just asking people in the street what they thought of some local political development of the time. I can't even remember what the report was about. But I do well remember the response of one of the people questioned, a very polite lady, somewhere about the centre of Belfast, and when the reporter put the question to this lady, she replied with this haughty voice, I'm a saved lady, you know. I wouldn't be interested in such things. We don't use the word saved as a weapon to make others feel inferior. In fact, here's Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 67. He said, "These things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself at Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn us and us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up." For one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received? In other words, the fact that you're saved is something that is a, a humbling experience. Not something that you use to to make yourself sound superior to others so the word saved is an intensely biblical word but like all biblical words we need to use it wisely we need to use it in the correct manner we are saved rescued from our sins the second thing that paul teaches us here is that this salvation this experience of being saved by god is by grace Now what do we mean by that? You know there's a belief in Roman Catholicism that Christ by his death has earned what they call a treasury of merit. Favor in the sight of God, let's call it. And out of that great treasury of merit he dispenses his grace, some of that favor with God to you. Now he doesn't always do it willingly. That's why sometimes you have to go to Mary to his mother and you have to ask Mary and please her and pray to her and ask Mary to speak to her son so that he will dispense some of the grace and favor that he has with God to you as a sinner. That's paganism. superstition and on biblical and what makes it even worse is that it separates the person of christ from the grace of christ i'd like to teach you this evening or to propose to you that god's grace is part of god's undeserved loving kindness for lost sinners and it is personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think of Jesus, we think of God's grace. It was in his grace that he gave us Christ. Second Corinthians 8 and verse 9 says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. We don't have to wrest grace from an unwilling God. We don't have to go to Mary or to the saints for to try to get them to persuade Christ to release to us some of the favor that he has earned with God from his death on the cross. None of that grace comes from Jesus. He is God's grace. He is God's gift to us. Sin has slain us and Christ in his grace has rescued us and given us life. So that grace is grace alone. No works of ours are needed. No works of ours will add anything to the gift of God for us, which is Christ Jesus. We are saved by grace. And we are saved through faith. Now this is very precise language. In this verse and the next verse. We are saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by faith. Faith is the the medium, the means by which the gift is received. Faith doesn't save us. That would be an error called fideism. Heidelberg Catechism puts it like this. Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. For only the satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. Faith is not something that you have in yourself. Faith is not something that you work up, nor is our salvation some kind of a reward for some great faith in God that you have. Faith is a gift of God, for by grace are ye saved through faith? and that, not of yourselves. you don't have it yourself. Some Christians believe that if you have prayed for healing and the healing hasn't come, then the reason for your continued sickness must be your own lack of faith. But if I, but I do not have within me the faith that I need to appropriate salvation. Faith is granted to us by God at conversion. It is the gift of God to enable us to appropriate, to take God's provision for us in Christ. By grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So my faith doesn't make me acceptable to God. God doesn't save me because I'm a man of faith. I cannot in any way earn my salvation. I cannot even by faith be good enough or religious enough to merit forgiveness. The faith that we get from God is simply instrumental to my salvation. God saves sinners. Sinners who have nothing whatsoever to offer him. And he even gives them the faith that they need to receive that forgiveness. Here's Paul and 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We don't have faith in our own faith. We have faith in Christ. Heidelberg Catechism not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. For only the satisfaction the righteousness and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. So we are saved. We are saved by grace. We are saved through faith. And we are saved in such a manner that we can never boast about it. Verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. We've already seen in Ephesians that God has a plan for us, haven't we? We are his pride and joy, his his jewels, the apple of his eye. We've learned in our last lesson that God has a plan to put us on display in the last days so that all of creation will see his glory And see his love and learn about his kindness to worthless, undeserving sinners. And all shall bow before him um, in worship and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And on that day, there will be no one in the redeemed multitude in heaven who will be able to say, I deserve to be here. There is no one who will say, I'm here because I'm a good person. I'm here because I'm a decent person. There will be no one saying, I did it my way. Paul excludes any form of human pride. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 27, he says, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Matthew Henry here says, Our faith, our conversion, our eternal salvation are not the mere product of any natural abilities, nor of any merit of our own, nor of works lest any man should boast. But I tell you, friends, there is one thing the Christian can boast about. It's found in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross, of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one thing we have to boast about, and that's Jesus. We lift up his name. We give all the praise and all the glory to honor and honor to him, for he alone is worthy. My final thought is simply to challenge all of us and to say, to each one of us, to myself, to you. Can you say with Paul, I'm only a sinner, saved by grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship.